HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. 2019 is Heritage Radio Network's 10th birthday, and we've got a lot to celebrate. We need your support to bring you another year of the best in food radio. Help HRN ring in its second decade by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Michael Harlan Turkell, and you're listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's episode is all about Christmas, but not your traditional Christmas, or maybe your traditional Christmas. It depends on whether or not you're Dutch. And here with Yvette von Boven, the illustrious author, illustrator of the Homemade series. If you've never seen these books, you certainly should. Just came out with this newest title called Christmas. And first, let's talk a little about about who you are, why you're even writing a book about Christmas in general, um, and your approach to all things food, design, and art. So the Netherlands. First, let's define where the Netherlands are and what they (laughs) encompass. Uh, the Netherlands are uh, is a a very, very, very small country um, uh, in Europe just across the sea of uh, England, I would say, um, just below Denmark, and, uh, and just uh, on top of Belgium and France, if I may say so. Now, have you got any idea where we are now? Yeah. Yes, just because when every four years when World Cup comes around, I've been a Netherlands fan for years, oh, you have. mainly because I like their orange costumes. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that, yeah. Flying Dutchman, yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But so I, I have a general idea um, and I have more of an idea of what it is because of Christmas. Um, I feel like that part of the world celebrates this holiday in a way that no other part of the world does. And I, I wonder why it's so ingrained in, in the Dutch community to, to be fans of Christmas. Or maybe I'm completely wrong. I, I think, well, I, I, for me, I think that the Americans are huge Christmas uh, uh, people. And the festive season is ginormous here. It's getting uh, bigger and bigger in, in Holland, too. Um, we have quite a season, actually, because we start um, December off. The 5th of December is Sinterklaas, and which is actually our Dutch version, version of Santa Claus. It's, uh, uh, I believe they are the same person. They, they look quite different. They all, all 
yeah, they both have a, a red coat, so that that matches. Um, our Santa Claus is uh, uh, to us; it's a holy person, and uh, he brings gifts to the kids. And we all have like hot chocolate and pea soup, and we play games all night, and then. We have all these gifts coming from Sinterklaas. Yeah, on, on December 5th, 20 days yeah. before we celebrate yeah. Christmas yeah. here. Because it's his, I believe it's his birthday on the 6th and we in, and he gives all his, the kids his gifts for his birthday. Yeah. The other way around, actually. And um, so we have that and we have Christmas, which is uh, actually more of a religious feast for Catholics or Christ- people who are um, Christians. But it has changed into a family feast, just like it is here. And I think it's getting bigger and bigger, I think, also because Sinterklaas in Holland has been, well, a bit of a edgy kind of uh, feast because the helpers of Sinterklaas, as we talked about earlier, um, the helpers of Sinterklaas are called Zwarte Piet. And they are... Um, well, it's well, it's a very, very difficult story for us. I mean, it's uh, it's about slavery, and it's uh, and there are um, um, black people, and uh, they are little slaves of Sinterklaas, which is, I think, a very strange way mm-hmm. <laughs> of. Uh, so there is a big discussion going on in Holland about people who are traditional and want to keep the feast as the way that it is, and uh, people who are uh, really offended by uh, this, so as uh, I am too. Yeah. And uh, are uh, talking about, let's get the whole Swartopi thing out of the whole party and just celebrate Sinterklaas as it is, and he doesn't need helpers of a special color. It can be any color. And that's why there are rainbow peats now. And Yes. But aside yes. from this dark past, it is interesting to find out that Sinterklaas... Uh, I guess lives what in Spain arrives by steamboat. Yes, <laughs> yes, you have written. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He arrives by steamboat and he's at, at the fifteenth of November, so that's in two weeks already. And then, and every city has a Sinterklaas coming in, with all the the beaten, all the peats uh, on his boat, and um, and uh, and then he comes into the town, and all the kids are allowed to. Uh, leave their um, uh, uh, leave a shoe in front of the fireplace, just like we like, or we or you uh, in America leave stockings, mm-hmm. and uh, they get little gifts and uh, f- f- on the way coming on, you know, the days before uh, Sinterklaas, and then at Sinterklaas itself, they have the big party at at night, which is also different because Christmas is a feast that we had. Well, I was brought up in Ireland first, the first 10 years of my life. So to us, it was Christmas morning and the, uh, and all the the gifts were under the tree. Yeah. I know there was a little flourish of it in your other book, Winter, yeah. which, which was more Irish focused and you yeah. did have some, you know, yeah. Christmas affects in yeah. there. Um, so culturally, Christmas really wasn't Christmas because Sinterklaas was kind of its own thing. Yeah. Uh, have you taken from other world traditions and incorporated those ideas into this book, or is it still Heineken, Herring, Bitterballen? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at yeah. all. No, not at all. No, I, I, I actually wrote the book or made the book with a completely different idea. I could have named it um, uh, homemade feasts or dinner parties or entertaining or... Because I find, as a recipe writer, I write for a lot of magazines and newspapers. Um, and the biggest thing for, to, um, for my readers always are, oh, dear God, it's going to be Christmas and there are <laughs> 20 people coming over or even only six. And people are freaking out over that. And I was, 
actually um that was to me that was the trigger uh i i like to have christmas because at our home because it's not about the christmas tree and the mariah carey songs and all that but just because uh, my friends are all coming over i have a very nice family so i i i really look forward to them coming and we have a huge elaborate dinner at our house and everybody's making something we have a fireplace outside and inside and drink beer and, and lovely fancy drinks and the best wines of them we keep them for christmas dinner so to us it's it's the best time of the year and uh, so i i just wanted to help people you know don't freak out <laughs> it's it's supposed to be really fun yeah so i thought i'll i'll, I'll think of dishes um that are uh, slightly contemporary and also a bit traditional uh, there is a lot of vegetables going on, I think, because I think and I find that people, uh, as me, are eating less and less meat, but do not know what would be a festive uh, main dish because they all want to do this whole big meaty things. Um, um, but um, uh, so I'm helping them around with easy to make dishes, easy to prepare ahead and and finish off at the last moment so you can be easily prepped. So actually, that was my whole idea. Actually. Yeah. I actually think this book could have been called Homemade Stress Prevention. <laughs> yeah, stress-free. <laughs> stress prevention, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it is. You, you use these words like foolproof, make ahead, and it yeah. takes a little bit of that stress yeah. out of the situation because it should be celebratory. It should be something that's exciting yeah. and fun for people. Um it's been funny in the past couple of years. I've been noticing at Trader Joe's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, supermarket here, that they have Kringle cake or a Kringle ring. It is a big ring cake, similar yeah. to what is served in the Netherlands. That's kind of frosted and has different flavors in it. Um, and even though it's from Wisconsin here, they say it's of Danish heritage. But um, Danish is not especially Dutch. Yes, exactly. Because that's a different country. Yeah. So I don't think it's Dutch. Yeah. So they say it's Danish heritage, but they have it next to the waffles, And they yeah. kind of put it next to all the Dutch things. And then I had a hard time separating what Dutch Christmas meant. And until reading mm -hmm. your book, I realized that it was not at all what I had as a concept in my no, mind. No. So tell me what you see on the table uh, during, I'm air quoting, Dutch Christmas. Yeah. Well, um, I th I find that uh, the Dutch are leaning more and more forward to American uh, uh, traditions. So they are also they've also taken over Halloween, which was not a particularly big party. But I've seen on Instagram now it's I've seen people dressed up and uh, like like I've seen here in the streets of New York. Um, so I would say that. Um, People are, well, they, they, they like to do something special. They would like to do s m more courses. Um, there are a lot of people who uh, like to do tr something traditional. I would say um, things like roast, big roasts, something like that. Something like a prawn cocktail, you know, as a starter uh, and... Um, an elaborate dessert, I would say, yeah. I almost want to start from desserts because my, my greatest association with Christmas is cookies. Yeah. Well, that's not a Dutch tradition at all. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Well, it might come, come into our country. You never know. Um, we also have uh, England very close to us. So we, um, 
I'm uh, well. I'm very much a fan of trifles and things like that. So, mm-hmm. and it's always easy to make because they're, they're actually tiramisu, but then different. So, it, and it's easy to make ahead. Um, but um, uh, we don't really. I'm just thinking now. Do we have a very typical Dutch Christmas dessert? I wouldn't say no. I mean, in the book. Like you had mentioned before, there are trifles, there are pavlovas. Yeah, pavlovas. Um, there's broken down of those two things in Eton mess. Yeah, Eton uh, mess <laughs> or syllabubs, which, uh, but these are things that I write. It's not per, per se a Dutch uh, yeah, dessert. Yeah, but you're trying to impart this into the Dutch community, hopefully that these uh, yes. become traditions. <laughs> and let's, let's, I'm trying to be good at it. Yeah. Let's actually start with the syllabub because it was something I didn't know, but is is it's a British uh, dessert, yeah. and it's quite an interesting dessert. I actually have you. Do you know what it is? Uh, I I I mean aspects of it, but mm-hmm. I don't want to speak incorrectly. So okay. I'm going to have you define oh, you it for me. me. Yeah. Well, I find uh, syllabubs one of my favorite desserts. It's quite light. It's a nice picture actually too in the book. It might be a little bit we're paging through. Um, a syllabub is a, a very old, uh, a, actually a very old uh, dessert. Well, it used to be more of a drink. It was uh, like brandy and you would steep like mace and um, uh, um, cloves and things like that. Uh, maybe some uh, lemon or uh, some citrus into it. And you would leave it in the fridge for overnight. And then you would mix it up with cream and drink it but you could also whip the cream and you know spoon it through so you would get get this like light alcoholy moussey spoonable uh, little dessert and i've added a little bit of crunch of uh, by you uh, by by roasting some oats and giving it a little bit of a like of nice like nice crunchy bite at the bottom it's it's certainly going to be on the christmas repertoire it is just it's nice and it feels yeah. so festive and it's very easy. Yeah. And and that's what I'm trying to do in the book. Everything has to be really easy. So I because I find that people are not as big as chefs as they, <laughs> as they wanted yeah. to, they want themselves to be. Well, I also like after dinner drinks at double as desserts. Yeah. Exactly. I was in Italy not too long ago and I had scropino, which is yeah. very similar, mm-hmm. lemoncello with lemon granita and um, it was actually an all-day affair because we didn't relegate it just to dessert. We, mm-hmm. it, it could be any time. And actually, that's what I love about Christmas or holiday desserts is that you make it for a certain situation, a certain dinner, but usually you make so much that you get to eat it for the next couple of days. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was actually, when I, was, when I started in the book, I was thinking of let's do a recipe and then what to do with the leftovers on yeah. the next page. Yeah. <laughs> I actually made a new uh, um, a newspaper column from that. So uh, the ideas didn't get get into the book, but yeah. I'm now doing it every week in the newspaper in Holland. Well, let, let's flip again and go to how you would start your day for Christmas because you have this book separated into uh, the morning, then Right into drinks, yeah, <laughs> snacks, soups, main yeah. courses, small plates, etc. Um, how do you smart start a Christmas morning? Well, I well I start my mornings uh, late because uh, we don't have kids, so we tend to sleep in. And if we would have uh, people over, uh, uh, I would have um, 
uh, decided to make something ahead so that I would have a nice breakfast or a brunch, actually. So mornings are not like eight o'clock mornings. Mornings are 11 o'clock. No, I mean, this is all music to my ears. Yes, I completely (laughs) agree with you. So if you have a long brunch... Um, and you start drinking early, so you can just <laughs> fall into drinks very yeah. easily after that. I mean, it's uh, at three o'clock. You can start with a, something like uh, the champagne and cranberry bowl or something, you know. So, um, I think because it's a holiday, you, you just you're not looking at time, and uh, um, you might. We well, we uh, start cooking late in the morning, and uh, we usually. Uh, Divide uh, our menu up so, so, like I would do the, for instance, the the, the starters, and then my cousin and uh, Ove, my husband, would be lighting the big barbecue fire in the garden. Even if it's snowing, we would always do something with roasting in the garden. A garden, and so everybody has their own job, and they come in whenever they have time, and they just yeah, everybody joins in, bo- bo- bottles open. And we just start cooking together. That's what, how we do it. Yeah. That's why I made a lot of little plates in, in the book. Because I thought, well, you can just decide by, for yourself if you're going to do three courses or four or five or six or sharing plates. You, you just, you're, you're the boss. You just decide. Well, I mean, I think on this idea of sharing um, things as simple as your brioche and red fruit swirls or mm-hmm. uh, mini mincemeat pies, you mm-hmm. know, there's that individual, you have your own sense. But mm-hmm. I also love that you have a, a pull-apart bread. Uh, these interactive oh, yes. these interactive dishes that, you know, <laughs> people partake in. So yeah. it's not just, you know, a plate in front of you and you eat that. Yeah. I it's, love the communal sense of eating. Thank you. Well, uh, I do too. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I I did some dishes that you could do for yourself, but I like passing on and sharing. Yeah, that's a well. That's a big idea about Christmas, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's not. It's not for me. To me, it's not a religious feast. It's just we call it Christmas because everybody has a week off to <laughs> to eat, and uh, and nobody uh, is calling on the phone, and your computer is silent, so you have this time together to do something nice. So um, yeah, might as well call it something else. I don't mind. Yeah. And then why even call it Christmas wreath bread? Why don't you just call it winter vacation bread? We could have. We could have. <laughs> yeah. We could have, but I think the the sound of Christmas makes it like, I I don't know, sort of Walt Disney, snowy, happy feeling, I think. It it makes you feel like it's completely acceptable to have um, a whole bunch of, you know, hot chocolate every day. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and wish HRN a happy birthday. I, I do want to talk about these drinks because 
Um, I mean, right now I'm looking at a photo of a wood fire oven. That's in our garden, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's winter time and snow is falling, so you need things to warm you up. What What are those utilitarian um, drinks or dishes that you think both warm the heart, soul, and body? I'm a very hot toddy kind of person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't put it in here because it's already in my winter book. And I tried, I think in this book, I had more of drinks that you could share. So these were big batches, drinks in big batches. Oh, yeah. yeah. Again, I'm going to add another thing to my repertoire, the champagne bowl. Champagne bowl, yes. I've had, oh, yes. And this is actually something I found out last year. Um, when you go out, when you go to cocktail bars, they have these fancy syrups and things. And, and then you say, oh, I'd love to make it myself. So I found out you can actually use your Christmas tree to make pine syrup, and um, which I thought was a qu quite a festive idea, as to just chop your Christmas tree yeah. up and cook it into <laughs> a syrup, and use that syrup to make all these kind of cocktails, which are really easy and not, not too fussy. Yeah, use I, them in ice cubes and things like that. Yeah, I definitely think people will start incorporating it. You have a Christmas Negroni recipe, and I think it's such a wonderful way to round out it's, it's one of my favorite drinks, but it's also yeah. three parts alcohol. Yes. So you need something to actually cohesive and maybe like <laughs> make you feel like you're not drinking such a ABV bomb. Maybe you need the, uh, the, uh, a strong drink just, yeah. to, to, just, to, just to relax. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I find that, that that's the whole thing. People are so tied up and they're all, you know, the kitchen has to be clean <coughs> and everything has to be right and nothing has to be right. Everything has, can just be jolly and doesn't matter if it doesn't work out. Well, what is your cleanest recipe and what is your uh, dirtiest recipe in this book? What bombs the kitchen and what is just so simple to make that you advise everyone to do oh dear oh dear you're putting me on, right <laughs> on the spot right now um uh, what is the kindest the kindest may be the 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 christmas rolls at the morning i'm trying to be kind to you in the morning so it's not too look it's only a few lines mm -hmm. and they're actually really good these apple cram cranberry christmas uh, rolls and um these are very easy to make. I, I do them with an ice cream scoop so <laughs> just, and they'll just flood out. And I was thinking of maybe the lamb. Let me see. Well, then we're talking centerpieces at that point. They're always like a little more complex. They're always a bit more complex. I'm just paging through here. Um, well, these are all the sides. You could decide on that. And you can even just make a, a dinner out of sides even, I think. You know, nothing is as well. We can we can get into a long conversation about gratins because <laughs> I don't I I understand why people wait until wintry weather to make gratins, but they're so good. I I don't know why I don't eat more year round. Gratins. Gratin, like gratin. Gratin. Yes. Ah. I mean, what what can be terrible about adding more butter and cheese to something? Never. Everything with butter and cheese is better. Yeah. I think this would be. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, this would be one of the more elaborate things because you will have to make mincemeat first and that, then stuff it into a pheasant. I mean, it's such a, I wish everyone can see this picture right now. And, um, <laughs> there's, they look, they look 
look good. Yeah, you have a decent photographer, too, by I your do. side. Yes, I do. I, yeah. <laughs> We're just teasing. We're just teasing. Oh, for her husband uh, is right here by our side. But this mincemeat stuffed pheasant with brandy sauce. Um, that was really Christmassy, wasn't it? Yeah, it is not only great to have that bird on the table, but let's talk about mincemeat and what that is in the context of yeah. of Christmas and maybe the cuisine that you grew up with. Well, it's uh, actually it is the, the the cuisine that I grew up with coming from Ireland. I have to teach people in Holland what it is because mincemeat sounds like minced meat. Yeah. What, uh, and it's actually quite interesting because it used to be minced meat. There used to be uh, things like lard and, and, and uh, fatty bits into um, uh, meat to make it more uh, umami, actually, just to make, give it more uh, oomph, to give it more of a texture and to stick it all together. So uh, the English used a lot of uh, uh, um, animal... Um, uh, like organ meats. Yeah, yeah, they they would use that in 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 uh, in sausages or, or in so- like, and even even sweet things. I think only it has derived from that. I mean, it 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 it, it has completely changed into something really sweet, uh, a lot of nuts, a lot of spices, and a lot of. Uh, um, currants and, uh, and raisins and things like that. So it, it has it, it has changed into something very sweet. Yeah. But I I believe and I th- I still think it, you don't have to make it that sweet. And I like to stuff it into like birds or things like that because I think that the um, the juices of the animals that that run through that and the bacon and everything that makes it only better. Yeah. So it's is, a nice mixture. Is so. that the weird? assumed or preconcept of what the flavor profile of Christmas should be. Everything should be sweet. Because you even have a dish, uh, sweet and spicy cinnamon nuts, yeah, which I that's think... A, that's a, like, a, yeah, cinnamon is very Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. But, and cinnamon. but spicy isn't. I don't, I don't think that's something that people usually associate because they think things are sweeter and heavier and creamier. That I, I think yeah. there's a lot of latitude that you've given this book to be able to play. <laughs> what I would say, uh, only sweetness is a bit bland or boring. Yeah. You, you, you should... Uh, add uh, something acidic or something spicy to it to make it interesting. So what classics have you updated with a little more spice or acidity? I would say, well, the page before this is a whole side of salmon, which I, and I find this a very easy dish. It looks very, very uh, appealing. And it looks like, oh, that looks fantastic. And how can I make that? So it's, it's no work at all. And I find this really nice because you actually cook lemon. So you slice it very, very thinly and just let you just scatter it all over a piece of fish and just put it into the oven and you eat the lemon with it. And I think the fattiness of, uh, of salmon and the, and the acidity of the, of the lemon is perfect. And yeah, uh, you're now pointing at this because yes. this is a great dish. I actually, this is a nice story because I, I do a TV show in Holland and we featured this because we did a vegetarian Christmas dinner and we featured this. This is a celeriac roast. This is a whole celeriac and you roast it and with all kinds of lemons, clementines, uh, oranges and things like that and rosemary. And you make a sauce with that, too. And it was such a hit that um, all the celeriacs in Amsterdam were sold out last <laughs> year. 
I saw on Twitter people tweeting, tweeting like, I found another shop yeah. that still has three run people. <laughs> I hope there's some kind of celeriac board that has been sending you thank you cards ever since running that. Yeah, but it's a nice thing because it's such an ugly vegetable well ugly i find it i find all vegetables very beautiful but this one is not really appealing but if you just if you if you treat it like a like a leg of lamb like it, i did it, it makes a great centerpiece and a lovely roast and it's quite delicious and this is very sweet and acidic at the same time so that's good not to use the visual pun but appealing there is a, a, a a vegetable spiral tart where you yeah. have to peel all these vegetables yeah. and then reassemble them in the They're most here. beautiful and yeah. visual way. <laughs> I mean, this seems like one of those recipes that does take a little bit of time, but the payoff is big. Yeah, the payoff is big. Well, it does. It, it, well, it puts together quite easily because you don't have to put them slice by slice. You just gather them all up and just push them down into the base of the cake so the it, pie it's 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 less hard as you think yeah i find it's not too hard and as you can see prepare is a little bit longer but the make is very easy this is something i guess i don't get to talk about on my show that much and it's just soup soup the word soup just why do you why don't you talk i don't about know soup? because soup just does not like it doesn't sound like an interesting word to me. Um, and as a photographer, and maybe if you can chime in uh, about this, is uh, not necessarily the easiest or most exciting thing to photograph, to, to see visually, because you have a single plane. You know, it's that flat meniscus in a bowl. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get too low because then you lose it. You know, there are some embellishments you can put on top, but I, I just never found soup to be something that I'm like, yay, soup. So so, how do you make soup? Ex Interesting. Yeah, you, um, well, from a visual from, standpoint from, too. From, from, from a visual standpoint. From a visual standpoint, it would be uh, sometimes it's hard if it's like a chunky soup or there's lots going on, but it, they all have the same color because it has been, you know, on the stove all together for a long time. It might sometimes tend to be a little brownish grayish, which is good. Gray food is delicious, but mm. it's not visual <laughs> very attractive. Uh, for the book photography, it, it is nice if you have a sort of a, a clean one-colored soup and then make a swirl with any sort of yogurt or cream or delicious nuts or stuff. That makes it appealing. And then go, as this example you're showing me, uh, a little closer into the into the plate, which makes it visually attractive because then you see the structures. But um, it might not be the favorite subject for photography compared to breads or, you know, nice salads or a, low, a big roast. But still, I mean... Uh, if you're cooking this up, the, the smell and the uh, <clears throat> the looks of the ingredients that you might put in it will make it very sexy to eat. Yes. Or a scallop in this case. <laughs> this is that's, one of my nice. favorite recipes. See, usually I, I will kind of like thumb through a soup section, even mm -hmm. though my wife, um, we don't watch the NFL, uh, mm -hmm. you know, f American football on yeah. Sundays. We watch college football on Saturdays. But every Sunday, she calls it Super Sunday, okay. like the Super Bowl, yeah. but she just makes soup. Yeah. Every, every Sunday. And you're right. The smell, it just imbues the whole house. Yeah. It's so great. Um, and then it's always like day one soup, nah, delicious soup. day two. But yeah. it's the flourishes that you have here. You've made pretty much a vichyssoise, leek and potato cream soup, yeah. Yeah. but then added fried scallops and parsley oil to it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I find, so I really disagree with you on soup. <laughs> 
yeah. I find we can, one we of can my disagree. favorite dishes, especially because and 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 for a festive dinner like this, you have to make a little dish out of it, and then you have to treat soup as a bit more sauce. If you do that, then it's a little dish, and then it's very different from soup as you would eat it as a meal, like you do before you go to uh, watch the uh, your game or whatever. You would you would you ha- would eat a big bowl of soup, and it would be actually like a, a, a it would be like chili or something else without the rice, you know. And and this is just like a little dish, and if you treat it like that, and and what uh, Oval sa- also said, if you just add little ingredients on top it'll it'll be a, it'll just change into a very small um, little dish which could be really interesting and in a soup you can put all these uh, you can choose texture you can choose if it's thick or thin you can choose the um, all the uh, you know like sauce sauce is the most com- complicated of, of a dish of of all I find because it has to bind all everything together and has to have something rich or it has to have something creamy or something uh, acidic or something sweet or something nutty to 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 come yeah to make the whole dish complete so I find soup a very interesting dish is this an analogy for family during the holidays too because <laughs> I feel like it is I think so too yeah let's all have yeah. soup and <laughs> um, be merry yeah uh, I feel like no Christmas or holiday uh, is is complete without lighting something on fire. Um, uh, same here. Yeah. yeah. And, and my my wife has also started this tradition um, of making a dessert that is lit on fire. Mm-hmm. And talk to me about Christmas pudding. Well, um, uh, my mom in Ireland we used to have Christmas pudding. Um, uh, this is a steamed. I put small Christmas puddings in the book. You're paging through now. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, well, I remember my mom making it already in, what is it, Stirrup Sunday? It's it's half October somewhere. And all the people, all the mums in our street would make Christmas pudding together or uh, at the same time. And we all had to stir. I think everybody in the family has to stir once to the left or something or to the right I don't know for good luck and uh, she would hide uh, a rag and a piece of um, a button and uh, and a ring and things in it you know and um, and then she would leave it in the hot cupboard for until Christmas and she would pour some booze on it every week so it was quite a a um, Quite a quite a piece of work. <laughs> it was very heavy, and all the lights would go out, and we would all sit in the dark. And my mom would come in with this flaming pudding, and we would all be really happy. And even we as kids are allowed to have a little piece, even though it had lots and lots of alcohol. <laughs> I have no idea what she did, what she gave us that, but she really did. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's we such, slept well after that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the reason they're like, we've got to put the kids to sleep, give them a little more yeah. Christmas pudding. <laughs> well, yeah, they've had so much sugar yeah. today. They will need some, yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you love most about this project, this cookbook? You've written so many. I think yeah. this is number five now, and they're yeah. always about a season, um, also a time and place. Yeah. Um, what is the time and place? I know what the season of Christmas is, but yeah. what does Christmas as a whole represent to you? That's a, well, it's a completely quiet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just... Um, 
Well, this book actually, and it's a bit similar to the winter book, but then it's it's more in a, a festival, festive kind of way. I would say it's. I, I just like winter a lot, so I like to write a lot about things in winter because it's you know summer is so much easier. You just slice up a tomato and you're already set to go. And for winter, you have to work harder. Um, do more with uh, uh, with with less produce, and uh, I like to just be very seasonal. And I th I feel that um, everybody. Um, no, I feel that. Uh, how how do I say this? I feel that uh, it, depending on the weather and the place that you are in, you get you you want to eat something special. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Um, so the 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 place uh, that you were at and the weather that you were in that that describes what you want to eat. Yeah, it, it's reflective. Um, there's a lasting memory of, of whatever that yeah place is. So yeah. you you can come back to it if you ever need. Yeah. And for all the rest of us, there's eggnog. <laughs> if you if you want to if you want to forget and <laughs> to end on on one thing which I have spent years trying to understand why people ever make and drink and enjoy um what what is what is so special about eggnog the funny thing is about eggnog is, is that we have in holland we eat it at uh, easter because it's about eggs and uh and the english and irish and and the americans have it for christmas so i put it in the book anyway because i thought well you know you can make a nice of Nice uh, uh, um, uh, Christmassy eggnog from it. Um, it's very Dutch. It's a very Dutch, uh, um, well, dessert for older people, I think. And they, they eat it with cream. Um, but I, yeah, I like it. I do like it, actually. I think old-fashioned things are good sometimes. You know, sometimes you have to try it again and think, oh, this is actually good. If somebody else makes it for you. See, I thought... Especially if it's made by yourself. It's not bought, store-bought. Yeah. See, I thought initially um, maybe you had a little too much eggnog and misspelled it because you were trying... I thought... Or it was made from avocado. No. Just because of the word. We How do you pronounce it? it? Yeah. yeah. This is the Dutch pronunciation. Yeah. Advocat. Advocat. Yeah. Well, I feel like everyone should make uh, <laughs> eggnog all year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I'll, I'll, uh, I, I'm sure you like it. <laughs> really, really, you do. It's like custard with booze. It's nothing bad in it. And, and maybe I'll just light it on fire. <laughs> I, I can't thank you enough for coming in, celebrating the holiday with us. And um, everyone should go out and get the whole homemade series. And oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, 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 get them all. Yeah. Yes. And then anytime you're in the studio is a complete pleasure. Thank, thank you, you again. Thank you so much for having me again. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.